Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We do this every week, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Tuesdays, notwithstanding technical glitches, because we're broadcasting with some cutting-edge VR technology. We've got hand tracking, we're using MetaQuest avatars, the Quest 2 headsets, and I am joined by David Heaney, sitting on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. I've never met him, but we come in here each week to broadcast the news. Heaney, what do we have this week? We have a lot of news this week, just as always. Uh, this is one of those years where VR news is just dropping so much faster than it did in any previous year. This is an industry that is growing so fast compared to what it used to. So today we're going to talk about why Quest doesn't have automatic room setup, according to Meta's CTO and John Carmack, why you have to manually mark out both your guardian and your room. We're going to talk about Lynx's 4 million funding round. So Lynx is the French startup that's making a mixed reality headset that seems to be very similar to Meta's Cambria, but with a few less features and a lot lower price. We're going to talk about the hints that Quest might get a cloud streaming platform, well, a native one from Meta. There's already, of course, Plutosphere and Shadow. We're going to talk about an analyst's claim of the timeline for PlayStation VR 2's mass production. And finally, we're going to talk about the trademark that recently emerged for Reality OS that seems to be filed by Apple and what that says about the potential for a reveal of either the operating system or the headset itself from Apple at their WWDC conference next week. So we have a lot of interesting things to talk about today. Yes, very, very busy couple of weeks. And as Heaney's kind of alluded to, I think these next few weeks uh, here, Heaney in particular, are going to be particularly uh, informative for sort of the, the next stages of this ecosystem, right? We've got Apple coming up, Augmented World Expo is uh, this week with Alex and Skiva from Between Realities there on scene to check out the latest hardware that's uh, being shown at uh, AWE. But obviously Apple, we're hearing uh, lots of uh, stuff on an ongoing basis there as well as the rest of this news. Hello everyone, Chris Richardson, Opsar Onakazi. Thank you everyone for coming across the technical glitches there and continuing with us each week. Obviously, uh, if you're a new to VR user or you're curious about VR, ask your questions in the comments. We can see them. Uh, our commenters are very helpful. They're asking great questions themselves. But if you've got sort of a new BVR question, don't be afraid to ask. And thank you all for, for tuning in. All right, so this first subject, Meta CTO Andrew Bosworth explained why VR play space setup isn't automatic yet on Quest 2. He actually replied to Guy Godin, uh, who or, or Guy Godin, sorry, I uh, messed it up. Guy Godin there, the creator of Virtual Desktop. He's in our comments today. Uh, I don't know if he came across the the technical glitch there, but he's in our comments. He asked this question specifically to John Carmack, I think, on Twitter. And then uh, Meta CTO Andrew Bosworth replied, explaining that segmentation is getting better all the time, but still has error. So there's risk of getting it wrong as it relates to how people can safely navigate a physical space. So obviously, I found this feature that allowed me to map out my environment manually. I can mark out basically boxes around my environment for doors, windows, pieces of furniture. And now there's actually a warning on my quest quite a lot now. Like I see it, uh, this pop-up all the time, warning me to be careful of real furniture in my surroundings. Because if I lean over here, I can actually see my living room environment on the other side of my home through the walls of my bedroom. 
uh, using this feature. Now, I noticed uh, consulting CTO John Carmack also chimed in here. Heaney, and I've got an image of that. Let's throw that up here. So uh, John Carmack here is, of course, the consulting chief technical officer. He sort of uh, provides guidance to the leadership over there at Meta on very tough technical issues. And he wrote that there are a good number of smart people at Meta working on understanding the world from camera images, but most of it isn't production ready. Automating away Guardian setup would be a major improvement, but I don't think it's imminent. I don't think it's imminent. Heaney, what kind of time scale do you think we're on for this sort of feature? Yeah, I think that's the kind of clearest signal we've got yet. Obviously, Bosworth's comment was a lot more vague, but Carmack, as usual, likes to give kind of specific tactical outlines. This is obviously something that is right now in the research phase. So just like, you know, maybe five or 10 years ago, the idea of doing positional tracking on a mobile headset was in the research stage. And today it's, you know, the core of Quest and Pico and all the other standalone headsets we have. The idea of actually segmenting out your furniture and your walls and having that all done automatically in a way that is good enough to be safe is something that is still kind of going down that pipeline from research to consumer devices. I wonder how much of this we will see over time with Project Cambria, given that it has those high resolution cameras and the depth sensor and color cameras. You know, just like Quest itself when it launched had few of the computer vision features we see today, you know, there was no hand tracking, there was none of that static object detection, there was no space sense. I think we could be in for updates over the years-long lifespan of Cambria and then maybe Quest 3 and, and other future devices that will see this added. I don't think we need, I don't think this is something that's going to require future hardware that hasn't even been announced yet. I think it's just something that is a matter of software because, you know, just as on Android smartphones and Apple smartphones, you see machine learning enabled features arrive as updates that support phones from even, you know, five years ago. It's really just a matter of that being figured out rather than some kind of future technological breakthrough in hardware itself. So Guy Godin uh, obviously has this really interesting comment here, quote, what surprises me is that a company like Tesla is able to do this in real time with a moving world. I would have expected Oculus to be able to do this easily, given that your room is mostly static. There's a lot of discussion about how how prepared Tesla's computer vision is for the tasks that Tesla's actually using it for, isn't there, Heaney? Yeah, and I mean, you have to note that the processor that's used in a Tesla car is significantly more powerful than what you see in a standalone headset and draws a lot more power. It is not in any way a smartphone tier processor. It's, I think, like an order of magnitude, at least more power draw, because obviously you have a massive battery in something like that compared to the tiny battery that's available in a headset. And, you know, it's designed to be able to cool, you know, it's got a much larger area to cool down that processor versus it being on your face. So yes, Tesla have done some amazing things with computer vision, but bringing that kind of quality to mobile processors is a, is a much different challenge. And you also have to remember that Tesla has eight cameras across their whole car, I believe, whereas, uh, you know, Quest is working with four black and white cameras at the moment, which is why with Cambria, when it has more sensors and higher resolution, we should maybe be a bit more optimistic. The mm. thing that I still think, you know, I think 
is a low hanging fruit and I suspect should already be possible is detecting the floor. I do, I, it seems crazy to me that you still have to manually touch the floor. It do, obviously, yes, there are going to be some floors that are so kind of Spartan and unpatterned that it's hard for the headset to pick it up. But surely by looking at the walls and seeing where they kind of intersect with the ground, there's some way that it could come up with that automatically already. Yeah, I get that. But I've also noticed how it, it does kind of auto detect sometimes like a like a subtle like height and then i go and i put my controller down on it and it seems to adjust by maybe half an inch and that is a significant distance to like kind of have to manually adjust with your touch controller like if if it wasn't i exactly right just through auto setup that half inch could be pretty dramatic uh for certain experiences yeah Uh, it does attempt to autocorrect you know it's not it's not like it's saying you have to manually touch it. It does say, you know, correct what you've done, but it just seems like it, you know, maybe this is just one of those things that's a lot harder than it seems. But given that smartphones can do it quite easily with AR Kit and AR Core, it seems like Quest should. But again, it's coming back to that same thing I've, I've said, you know, three times in a row here. The Quest 2 is using these low resolution, well, low angular resolution when you take into account the field of view, black and white cameras. When Cambria has, as they've announced, three times the resolution and color, they can probably do a lot more there. So I'm very interested to see what computer vision features does Cambria have that Quest 2 doesn't. Hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing more interesting comments from Guy out there talking about how uh, the Vive Focus 3 can detect floor height automatically. And I, I think it's interesting there that Guy is uh, saying he's he's exploring the Vive Focus 3. Is that what you're, you're confused? You know, I, I know that is something that we've heard about, but... Uh, yeah, what's the status of virtual desktop on other headsets? Let us know in the comments there, Guy. Um, are we ready to move on to the second subject, or are there any comments out there that you want to respond to, Heaney? Just having a look here. I think we can move on to the next. I was just some people saying that Stan is doing a live stream at the moment for Lynx, and you know that's another headset that it has mixed reality capabilities that is going to be using a lot of computer vision-based features and that has higher resolution color cameras. So I'm curious to see what exactly do developers get from Lynx? Do they get depth? Do they get this segmentation automatically? Or is Lynx going to go down the same path? From what I understand right now, it will be much more automatic, but we're not 100% sure what the final feature set will be for mixed reality on Lynx. Yeah, so the news here is that Lynx said it raised $4 million in a funding round ahead of delivery of the R1 Mixed Rally headset. That headset is slated to arrive in the June to July timeframe. That's a little bit later than originally promised. They were originally promising that to hit in April. and uh, But uh, we heard from our upload correspondents there at GDC a couple months ago, Alex and Skiva, uh, that it was actually pushed back a few months and then this latest news that they've got funding came with them doing an update, uh, basically concurrent with our recording here. So we will probably have updates on Link's Mixed Reality based on all the details that were unveiled in that video next week on this show. But last week we did get this uh, detail that they've raised $4 million. And so the key here is that they're saying that this money will secure our supply chain completely and fulfill the insane demand we're facing so in addition to the kickstarter backers they are taking pre-orders for this device right heaney yeah that's correct and uh artful is saying in the comments here i believe artful is watching both streams at once i i don't know how that's possible but i commend you for being capable of doing that Uh, they're saying that 
September is now the shipping time for the first Lynx R1 out to Kickstarter backers. And then obviously, if you pre-order, you're going to be talking, you know, months after. And it's interesting that September is actually the rumored shipping date or at least the launch date of Project Cambria. But as we've noted before, this is an extremely turbulent time for hardware startups because of the obvious things happening in the supply chain. In China, there are you know lockdowns in some of the major cities that are involved in manufacturing and even in supplying of the parts for manufacturing. Even the biggest companies in the world are struggling to keep up their production with the demand that they need. This has been something that's been ongoing for years now. There were optimistic hints from some of the major CEOs like AMD CEO that this might be resolved by the end of 2022. But now we've heard from some CEOs that this issue is likely going to extend on to 2023. It's fairly unprecedented for the tech industry. I don't think in the kind of since the explosion of consumer mobile devices, we haven't actually seen a supply crunch like this. So what people have been expecting startups to be capable of delivering for the past few decades is just not really a mental model you can keep applying to the current situation. So I'm not surprised that Lynx is having another delay. If you, you know, if you look at what's happening in the countries where these products are actually being manufactured and where the parts are being shipped from, it is just still a complete nightmare. And the global economy still has not recovered from the kind of aftershocks of 2020 yet, disappointingly. But I do think that's going to be interesting if it does end up shipping around the same time as Cambria. Obviously, we know that Cambria is, according to Meta, significantly more than $800. So Lynx is not going to, in any way, in my view, be kind of taken out by Cambria because it lacks you know, the eye tracking and face tracking. It's a more focused product on mixed reality specifically. It can still have this place in the market by being a significantly more affordable option. And then also, of course, for the people who aren't interested in Meta products, it can be the more kind of ethical option, if you want to put it like that. Interesting. I am really concerned about it slipping out of the year, right? Like you're, you're talking about it not competing, but if it slips out of this year, how, how, what, what does that mean for all those people that have uh, sort of gotten excited for this device uh, competing to, you know, competing in this way that we've kind of, expected them to to do for a year now i think it is well you know i think there's a lot of time between september and the end of the year i think that it would be very pessimistic to suggest that it might ship slip to the end of the year but obviously yes this is one of the reasons that they're heralding the advantages of this new funding this this four million series a is they're saying that this is actually helping them secure some of those supply chain contracts and get in the kind of priorities of these suppliers because at the end of the day, it is a kind of pay-to-win situation in the supply chains right now, where if you put up the biggest orders first and you even fund more than what you would usually pay and kind of try to secure these contracts, you can get ahead of the smaller startups that are not able to do that. And you know that's obviously what the big companies have been doing, as well as using their clout to say, you know, if you don't supply us in timely fashion, we'll find other suppliers in the future. So from the signs of it, I mean, that the direct quote is, we're now able to secure our supply chain completely and fulfill this insane demand we're facing. That's a direct quote from Link. So hopefully this funding that we're talking about as the news is going to help with that situation. And I'm seeing Artful talk about SideQuest in our comments, uh, something about SideQuest and 
Lynx and their relationship. And we're going to have to dig into that with SideQuest and Lynx and really review that video for ourselves before we get into that. But obviously, come back to UploadVR.com as we dive into all of that and, and really understand where these projects are. Any comments that we want to respond to here before we move on to the PSVR 2 news? Yeah, I think you've just you've pointed out the most interesting ones from Artful, who's uh, the capable person able to listen to two streams at once. So they're kind of bringing <laughs> us that. But like like you say, that's something that we'll obviously review after the show. Um, Goza-san is, is suspecting that Meta will announce in September, but wait for two months or one or two months to actually start shipping that's i mean yes that's something that happened in the far past but if you look at quest and go and and quest 2 the shipping started pretty soon after so i don't know i think if those rumors that cambria is launching in september are true i think they could be actually shipping pretty soon after pre-orders are brought up yeah i i wanted to get into sort of the timing situation after we get through to our last major subject here because I kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the show, Heaney, where I'm getting the feeling that at least the big platforms when it comes to Meta and Apple, they're playing a little bit of gamesmanship in sort of letting out details over time of what their platforms are capable of. You know, we've got two competing platforms here that are trying to convince millions of people that they are innovative and the first to design some technologies and here are these new headsets that are going to move the bar forward quite a bit when it comes to mixed reality and even augmented reality using a virtual reality headset and i you know there's because these are vr headsets you only are going to believe what you actually see with your eyes or if there's someone out there that you trust to provide you you know an unbiased opinion or at least their honest opinion and those are the ways I imagine we'll see over the next six months these things start to, to come out. Like, I would, we, we, we're moving towards hands on as well as shipping actual products. And a lot of this, Heaney, I mean, let's, let's get into the PSVR 2 mass production situation here because that's kind of key here. Uh, Heaney, you're We've got Go cloud ahead. streaming first. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's right. So we'll get into PSVR 2 after that. First thing is these hints that Meta may be working on cloud VR streaming for the Quest. We've obviously got Guy Godin out in our comments who builds virtual desktop, which is used today in much the same manner uh, as people will potentially be using uh, cloud VR streaming in the future. Heaney, why don't you walk us through uh, how people use virtual desktop and cloud, you know, and, and remote cloud remote rendering today and how that compares to remote rendering we might have in a couple of years. Yeah. So today there's kind of three options if you want to remotely play VR games on your quest. So PC VR games without having a PC in your vicinity with virtual desktop. If you have your own PC that you own, remotely say you're away from your home but you're still on a wi-fi network a different wi-fi network you can remotely stream from your pc just in the same way that you can stream on your local network with virtual desktop you can also rent a pc in the cloud and install virtual desktop using shadow pc and shadow actually have their own managed client for quest that they distribute through SideQuest that kind of automates that process and makes it a little bit kind of more direct 
but from what I've heard, it's you're going to get a better quality from actually just using virtual desktop through it manually. The third option then is using Plutosphere, which is a fully managed service. You don't have to rent a PC like Shadow. You know, you're paying a, a monthly fee for that PC with or with virtual desktop, you can have your own PC. If you do not have a PC at all, either physically or rented, Plutosphere has a token system where you pay per hour of usage and they give you a little kind of bit of buffer usage at the start to get your Steam VR set up, etc. What we're seeing here is hints that Meta is going to join in this game themselves. And we don't know what the business model there would be like, but a month ago, a firmware sleuth, Simulia, who's been known in the past to find interesting things in the Quest firmware and was one of the per- people who leaked a lot of details about Cambria, which was then known as Quest Pro and may still be known as Quest Pro, find this string called Avalanche Cloud Gaming Infra Enable. Avalanche. So, oh, my headset is frozen. Can you still hear me? I hope you can still hear me. Stand by. Sorry, I was muted. Yes, I can still hear you, Heaney. That is very interesting. So my hand tracking is broken. My hands are just kind of frozen, but I guess I can still keep talking. So this week, a Redditor, an anonymous Redditor, posted a screenshot that appears to show Enable Avalanche Alpha in the experimental settings of their quest. And they claim that they pressed it it said finding server for 20 seconds or so and then loaded them into the PC version of Oculus Home with decent frame rate but a little bit of lag. They then told the YouTuber, uh, Brad Lynch, sadly it's Bradley, apparently, that they were able to get into a totally remote game of as. Okay, we did lose Heaney there. He popped out of existence for me, at least. He probably popped out of existence for you. Yeah, Asgard's Wrath being the game that was mentioned in the sourcing uh, as one of the things that was supposedly run from the cloud briefly, I think, before it crashed. I think that's a really interesting note, uh, kind of adds some believability to this report. Uh, Obviously, we need to to see a lot more indications that this is uh, actually happening. We reached out to Meta to see what the status is of their remote cloud rendering service uh, and whether they're working on it. The key thing to remember here is there is some comments from John Carmack uh, a little while ago. Hello, Heaney. Thank you for coming back. You you freaked me out there. You just blipped out of existence. Yeah, that was Um, super weird. (laughs) John Carmack at uh, one of the Connect events a while back indicated that, you know, he talked about the fact that there are people using virtual desktop. He didn't use virtual desktop uh, by name in that talk. But there are people using remote wireless streaming to their Quest headsets while people inside Meta are arguing whether the quality of that connection is good enough for them to ship their own solution. And in that same explanation from Carmack, he also says, well, Obviously, we know that cloud rendering, where it's a remote PC that's very far away from you physically, um, that's going to be even lower quality. But there's some people out there in the world who are doing it today. And I noticed we had a comment here from a sidebook who said they used Google Cloud and virtual desktop to play PC VR on Quest 2. It worked well, but it would have cost almost $100 a month. 
wow, that is a, a crazy demo to, to try to test out. But obviously there's people doing this, Heaney, and I guess it's a question of just how many people are going to do this before sort of feeling wonky after they, they go in there for a remote remote session. Yeah, like I said, you can already do it with Shadow. Obviously, you can use AWS or Google Cloud and rent a cloud machine, but those services really aren't designed for this. So you're going to, that $100 a month does not surprise me, given the kind of pricing there is designed more for deploying, you know, real cloud applications. Shadow is great because they're more aimed towards consumer use cases. So you're going to pay something like $30, $40, $50 a month instead. And yes, that is something people are doing to do with virtual desktop, but I, you know, as I was saying before, my quest yeeted me out of here. Th- this person has <laughs> claimed to have talked to, uh, sorry, Brad Lynch has claimed that this person got in contact with him personally, said they were able to get into a totally remote game of Asgard's Wrath, and they were in the UK, and they weren't even using a Wi-Fi 6 router, they were using a Wi-Fi 5 router, and they said, you know, it was a little laggy, but that's likely because the servers are in America, and this person was accessing it from the UK. But you know, I saw a comment here, I'll try to find who said it, but they were kind of asking, what exactly is the point of this? So you people can play PC VR titles made from two to five years ago. Uh, yes, I guess there are still, you know, Facebook spent hundreds of millions of dollars on funding some of these titles that never came to standalone. And more importantly, there are going to be PlayStation VR 2 titles that are designed entirely for a high-spec machine. And maybe they'll come to Steam VR, but if Meta doesn't have an approach here, if they don't have a, they don't seem interested in the PC space itself. But if they don't have some sort of approach, these games are going to be totally missing them out. So what I suspect is going on here is that this is going to be an option to bring the kind of games that can only come to PlayStation VR two and Steam VR to Quest through this system that they're calling Avalanche. I think the really interesting question is going to be what is the business model here is this going to be something that requires a subscription or is this going to be something where you purchase these apps in some sort of you know section of the quest store and then they're streamed to you and then the other interesting question is what is going to be the availability model here is this going to be something where they just make it available to anyone and say you're responsible for making sure your internet connection is good enough or will there be a, some sort of geofencing where you have to be within a certain vicinity of one of their servers are they going to build out servers to actually support this in a meaningful way? You know, uh, Meta has one of the largest cloud infrastructure in the world, but it's not for G- you know, it's not for GPUs that are designed for gaming. It's not like AWS or Google Cloud where they have it for Stadia and for some of the kind of GPU accelerated cloud uh, applications. There's a lot of unanswered questions here, and there also is the possibility that this is just a long-term experiment. It's interesting that this was apparently rolled out to someone by accident. That's one of the most mysterious parts of this. Why exactly did one person, as far as we know, only one person, get this put into their Quest experimental settings? We know that Meta does A-B tests where they roll out features to a subset of their users, but why this person and why no one else? Yeah. Uh, Hello. uh, Thank you, Sampler, for uh, becoming a member. And uh, we encourage everyone uh, out there to become a member and support us and our work. Uh, yeah, the thing about Asgard's Wrath is what really got me here. Uh, that is a game that is just visually stunning. And as you know, f- Facebook went and purchased the developer behind that game. And for the most part, we don't know what projects those developers that Meta acquired went off and worked on, right? We've got theories, we've heard a couple hints on some of these things. 
but still like does that company go and work on uh asgard's wrath 2 and have it run via the cloud or do they go start building quest uh you know quest specific games that run natively on the headset uh did they break up the team into both of those right some of the people that you know went off and worked on the streaming tech some got to work on quest games but it was a real head scratcher because there was this such an amazing visual experience that was so far away from the quest hardware back when it got acquired we didn't know sort of what the end goal there was do do you think there was that was the plan when they acquired them to have them sort of test out this feature well, I, I seriously doubt that they're working on any new PC games. They they did say when they released Lone Echo 2 that that is their last PC VR funded title. But I think what they're just trying to do is bring those existing titles that never came. You know, there's Brass Tactics, there's Asgard's Wrath, which Asgard's Wrath isn't just a visually impressive game. It's the depth, it's the scale. It's a 25R at minimum title. It's a real full A game, which, you know, if people haven't played it, I'd say you're missing out in terms of if you are looking for an actual meaty VR RPG. It's it's up there with Half-Life Alex in maybe not game design, but in actual scale and scope, absolutely, if not more. So there's games like that. There's obviously Lone Echo itself, Lone Echo 2, things like Brass Tactics, Wilson's Heart. And obviously, if Meta was able to make the partnerships, there's a bunch of titles on PSVR or on Steam VR and the titles that are going to be on PSVR two that are just not going to ever be possible on quest so i imagine if this is part of meta strategy that's what it's going to be for Mm, very very good points and lots of really interesting comments people sort of theorizing that maybe it was just a simple mistake on the side of meta to add access to someone who shouldn't have had access but usually when we see these tests we see these things come from multiple sources so it was a little weird to to see just the one source like when when the mixed reality room setup feature hit my headset almost immediately we saw other people with that experimental feature reporting similar findings but we haven't seen that same thing with this cloud streaming feature onakazi has a really interesting speculation here they're saying maybe the guy's name is the same or within a typo of the name of an engineer so that the engineers at meta have tried to whitelist someone and it's auto completed to a user that is one character off their username that that's that would be i could completely see something like that happening because the i think the redditor in question said that they you know after a while after they started talking about this the feature then disappeared from their headset Mm. All right, let's move on to the PSVR mass production hints we've basically got. So a prominent research analyst thinks that PSVR 2 will enter mass production in the second half of 2022, and it may launch in Q1 of 2023. Heaney is currently teleporting around the space with me. He's like seven feet tall. Uh, right now so i'm assuming when he's back he'll be able to address this but obviously we've been hearing a lot of rumors and a lot of shifting timelines for psvr 2 everyone wants it to really hit this year but there's a lot of concern that it's just going to get pushed out Keeney, what what do we think is going to happen here yeah, so this is from supply chain analyst Ming-Chi Kuo. Kuo is usually known for talking about Apple product. Uh, he has a very good, my, as you said, I was teleporting around. My, there's something very wrong with my quest. I need to restart the headset. 
hand tracking breaks, then controller tracking, then headset tracking, then the Guardian starts popping around. Yeah, but hopefully people can still hear me. So yeah, Quo is known for talking about Apple products. He, he's a very good track record in predicting them. Recently, he's been releasing reports about Project Cambria. He's been talking about kind of Samsung products. You know, since he's joined Twitter recently, he seems to have diversified his kind of scope outside Apple. And in this report, he is saying that according to his supply chain sources, the assembler and several component providers for the PlayStation VR 2 of are entering mass production in the second half of 2022. So that's from July onwards. And he says that based on this, and based on the fact that they should have 1.5 million units by the end of the second half of this year, if Sony has the games ready, they can be ready to launch in the first quarter of 2023. And that echoes two previous claims that we've seen also both point to the first quarter of 2023. In February, uh, the YouTube channel PSVR Without Parole reported that they had a source that the headset will launch in quarter one of 2023. And in March, we reported on a display supply chain analyst, DSCC's Ross Young, their CEO, saying that he, based on his supply chain information, Sony will have some parts by the second half of this year, but it would only be a paper launch to have a real, to have enough components and enough uh, units produced for a real launch. It would need to happen in quarter one of 2023. Of course, Sony itself has not said anything about a release window yet, but they have since February opened up a page where you can sign up to be notified when pre-orders are available. So if it does launch in 2023, it's potentially possible that it's not a delay per se. It may just be that Sony has always planned on 2023. But I think based on these three sources now, you would have to be a very optimistic person to think that PSVR 2 would launch this holiday season. That's rough. Yeah, I I, I have stood outside of department stores uh, for midnight releases of Sony headsets in the past when they were very low supply, like PlayStation 2. I remember my local Kmart had, I, I think, six on hand back when Kmart still existed and still carried electronics. Uh, and then um, years later, PlayStation 3, similar story. Uh, they had Circuit City. I remember I was at uh, at midnight at circuit city trying to get my hands on one of these consoles that they're only going to hand out like eight or something to this crowd of hundreds that had developed and they were raffling off these devices uh one at a time you could come back and spend whatever it was like seven hundred dollars or something for that system back when it came out you know this sony has released products with very very low amounts of inventory uh before i just don't know if that's the right call here in 2022 I don't know. Yeah, I get you can argue that that has happened, but I think these analysts are saying that it would be, you know, the, there wouldn't be enough units for any meaningful launch. And if you want to come out swinging with a product like this, you know, with PlayStation 5, limited units meant a lot more than this. It is possible that they will just go for a paper launch and say, you know, we're sorry to anyone that doesn't get it. But that's is that something you really want to do around Christmas time? Though, you know, the counter argument is every PlayStation since I think the PlayStation 1 or something like that, or maybe one of the PlayStation 2 regions launched in quarter three of the year. You know, it was October, November for pretty much every PlayStation device. So this 
if this were to launch in quarter one, that would be a very different strategy from everything Sony's done so far. But again, as we were saying when we were discussing links, this is a truly unprecedented time for technology supply chains and anything can happen that is completely out of the normal simply because of the current state of those supply chains and the economy in general. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm having Onikazi saying Q1 almost always means a March launch. And I'm remembering back to the supply supply chain issues that really hit that first year of the Quest getting out there, right? Like it it entered back order three weeks before Christmas, I think that Quest did the first year out, and then didn't come back for like two months, right? It was really bad that first year of 2019 into 2020. And yeah, I would hate to see that happen with, with Sony again, like just... Yeah, you would hate to see it back ordered into March if you tried to get it in December. That would be terrible. Yeah, I think it really depends on the one spec that we haven't heard of this headset yet. We've heard almost every spec except arguably one of the most important, the price. Um, it's something that is so up in the air because there is there is some serious technology in this product. We're talking, you know, high dynamic range OLED displays wide field of view lenses, eye tracking, tracking. Yeah. face haptics, precise haptics on both controllers. It's one of those products that it's so hard to understand how this thing is going to be priced affordably unless Sony is going to take some sort of massive loss on each device, which is entirely possible and something Sony has done in the past. But I wonder if they are going to try and initially offset any potential supply issues by just pricing it high. And then maybe when it comes around to Christmas 2023, they cut $100 off the price once the actual supply is more available. Yeah, that might make a lot of sense. Any comments you want to respond to before we move on to Apple? Uh, I think, yeah, some people are just uh, disappointed at the idea that this thing won't launch this year, which I completely understand because, you know, this is in many ways the next stage and the revival of high-end VR. We, we've been in this kind of phase for years now where, you know, as Meta has taken its eye completely off PC and as Valve has, you know, frankly put very little to no investment into PC, the, the platform has, from a usage perspective relative to PC gaming, mostly stagnated. So if, you know, if th with this thing coming out with, you know, incredible specs and as Sony has said, last week 20 plus games at launch this is going to be the revival of the kind of high-end vr that people wanted to buy into in 2016 so it is disappointing if it's not going to arrive this year mm. all right let's talk about the latest we know about apple's reality os so this has been trademarked for two days after apple's worldwide developer conference so this means that apple is very very serious about this operating system and the timing here indicates we, we might actually get some news for the first time on Apple AR and VR after half a decade of people saying, this is, this is it. This is the, the, the event we're going to actually get a headset. Um, we actually have a trademark filing. This is, this is wholly different than anything that has happened before, right, Heaney? Yep. And I, you know, I want to point out that we have never been the people to say it's coming this year. You know, we've always been very <laughs> careful to, to say that the people who are saying that are jumping the gun. We've yeah. talked about these reports in a very speculative sense. 
we've been kind of reporting on the reliable sources, which for my opinion is, you know, Bloomberg, the information and Ming-Chi Kuo, and not kind of going into some of the uh, evangelist influencer crazy claims that are out there that you know, caution people. Yeah, yeah, I would caution people to disbelieve anyone who said for the past five years, oh, the Apple headset's coming this Christmas and it's going to destroy everything on the market. Maybe don't listen to those people if you're wrong six times in a row. But what we have this week... <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry that was beautiful all right well what we have this week is a trademark filing from a company called reality o systems llc and they have trademarked reality os now you may be wondering that's not apple but as nine to five mac reported apple has in the past used shell companies to trademark names for example mac os major updates and actually what nine to five mac noticed is that the company that filed this trademark which has a deadline of two days after the wwc conference next week is registered to the exact same address as the shell companies apple has used in the past and the filing agent is has worked with apple in the past so it is almost certain that apple has filed this and reality os was actually first reported by bloomberg all the way back in 2017 they talked about apple working on a vr ar headset and they said that the the operating system for this was going to be called ros then in january of this year an iOS developer spotted a new platform in the App Store upload logs. So in the logs, when they're uploading their app to the App Store, where it lists all of the different platforms like, you know, uh, watchOS and tvOS and macOS and iPadOS, they noticed one called com.apple.platform.realityOS. So that is a direct confirmation in Apple's own code that this exists. That was the first time we got a confirmation outside some sort of speculative reporting. And a month later, a award-winning Git repository surgeon, that's how they're described, spotted Apple committing code to an open source GitHub repository, which referenced target feature reality OS and reality OS simulator. So that was the second time we got direct real confirmation from Apple's own code that reality OS is a thing. The week before mm-hmm. last, Bloomberg reported that Apple has recently ramped up development of Reality OS and previewed its headset to the board of directors. And now we go to this week where this patent, sorry, this trademark is filed for Reality OS. So WWDC is on June 6th next week. The question emerges, Are is Apple going to reveal at the very least, the operating system, WWDC is a developer conference where they often talk about the next version of iOS and macOS, or may they even go further and tease the headset itself. We should note that the most recent reports from the likes of Bloomberg and the information suggest that Apple's headset will not make it this year. One of the display supply chain analysts we talked about when we just spoke about PSVR's production also said that Apple will not have enough parts to ship this year, so they expect it to be an early next year launch. Given how far away that is, it's difficult to see why Apple would want to announce the product this soon, but it could certainly be seen that they would tease it and want to get it out to developers. So, you know, some people have been saying they don't think that Apple will show anything other than the operating system. 
I don't understand how do you show an operating system that's designed for a new hardware class without talking about the new hardware class. To me, I think we're going to see at the very least a one more thing tease at the end, and that will be incredibly exciting and perhaps bring more attention to the VR, AR industry than mm. any news in past years. Even Quest, even PlayStation VR 2, there's nothing quite like the marketing and kind of public consciousness appeal of Apple. Yeah, Guy out there saying that uh, he doesn't think people, they will tease or announce anything until people can buy the product, which is kind of ta- Apple's, uh, wh- the way they've operated most of the time, except for, in my mind, uh, the iPhone launch, right? Yep. Being kind it of was the shown at CES there. in January and then shipped near the end of the year. So it's possible that if Apple sees this as Arguably, this would be the most uniquely new product that Apple has launched since the iPhone. You know, the iPad was, in many ways, mocked at the time as just being a giant iPhone. It's, they were on the same operating system. The Apple Watch is an accessory to the iPhone. You know, there's been other products that are in the smaller scale, like the HomePod and AirPods. But again, you know, the HomePod isn't a very serious product in, on a market scale, and AirPods are an accessory. This is, if it works as it's been reported, Apple's first truly new device class that is standalone on its own not some accessory in you know a decade and a half so it's possible that given that the way that they're going to need developers to build for this is going to be so radically different from their current devices that they may want to get this out to developers from wwdc or at least tell developers to start thinking about this and start planning for building for this because you can't launch a product like this without having some sort of developer ecosystem built up so, Hina, you referenced uh, CES, I think, as the time frame for this. But I think, as I recall, you know, Apple never appears at CES, right? They do their own events. They they basically did an announcement uh, simultaneous, I think, to CES, all right, competing with it, and ended up all the people that were at CES had to look at what Apple had just announced on stage, you know, unveiled to the world for the very first time this fundamental rethinking of a touch-based interface, right? Uh, you slide your finger across the, the surface and you're able to get to all the content you, you want and you're able to type at speed on this touchscreen keyboard. You know, all these other executives out there in the tech industry saw that moment remotely, basically, right? They saw the headlines coming out. They saw uh, people writing about it. And that was a, a shocking moment for the rest of the technology industry when this product hit. Uh, that's what I was kind of a hinting at. I feel like we're in the moments of that happening here. Uh, a couple of years ago, Valve picked the moment that Mark Zuckerberg was heading onto stage at one of his events to announce the Valve Index headset, right? To detail all of the details around this Valve Index PC headset. And they picked a competing moment for this other company you know these these companies play very nice most of the time they you know they they say uh very nice things about uh you know competition raises all boats right it's competition is good for everyone but at the end of the day they can be absolutely cutthroat and i think back to things like uh facebook announcing a 200 dollars headset coming a the oculus go they announced the price, I think, before actually getting to a lot of the details. And then they did the same thing with Quest 1. 
And I think, again, with Quest 2, it might have been everything all at once. But those prices are unmatchable. And to the extent that if you announce that price early enough, I would not be surprised to see it scare away competitors. And I start thinking about that. There's a lot of people talking about this supposed feature that this headset maybe shows uh, some kind of version of a face to the person watching the person in mixed reality. And like, if that was actually implemented really well, Heaney, do you think that's enough to make Cambria get scrapped? Uh, you know, like, or or is that you know you they're past the point they actually have to ship what they've got this year? Oh God, no! They're not going to scrap a product that they've you know announced and getting ready to ship because of something like that. Especially if the rumors that this thing is between two and three thousand dollars, it doesn't matter if if Cambria is twelve hundred dollars. It simply doesn't matter what extra features something at double the price has. I want to point out two very interesting comments here. Uh, first, Anakazi is saying that for, when Apple transitioned from Intel to Apple Silicon, they pre-announced that to developers by giving them a Mac Mini that had an A12Z in it so that they could get ready to program it. So you have some sort of precedent there of a developer kit that, that's possible. Uh, Karam, Karam is pointing out that uh, they think the trademark filing means nothing. And they have said that German, uh, Bloomberg's reporter, has said to not expect a reveal of any sort at WWDC. And so uh, obviously the, the, there is a good argument for that in the sense that if it is true, the report that we talked about last week, that this headset is not shipping this year, it would be an incredibly long time between a reveal and announce that is very unlike the modern Apple at the very least. So again, obviously, we, we talked about the counter argument there that in 2007 for the iPhone, there, there was a different approach there. It's difficult to know. I, I do think it would be astonishing for Apple to just try and drop such a new product very close to launch without getting developer support. Obviously, I imagine that they already have a close-knit group of developers that they're giving developer kits out to to build content. But if you want to come out swinging and get this with enough momentum that that has the applications people want to use, you'd really think that they would have to give it out to a much wider group of developers. And it's hard to keep a secret like that if you're going to. So just like with the Mac mini transition, as Anakazi pointed out, they did have to give that. It's, you know, I I do think we're going to have to see at least something, though maybe it'll come in the September events as uh, MX Morningstar is uh speculating and they're saying you know if they do it in september and, and project cambria from meta is launching in september that could be a way to overshadow cambria's launch mm. very very interesting yeah I, I i've joked with you in the past about being in the end game right like and and you saying that we're at the end of the beginning maybe right you know I, the market out there has it takes years from the catch-up to like this being something everybody wants or needs, right? So, like, the thing that gets announced this year, it's going to take two years for it to be this thing, like the software to build out, the the, the, the actual apps to get there to make it a quality thing that you want to go and actually pressure your friends to go buy so they can go do something with you. So the things that are, you know, happening now this year may not be relevant in most people's minds out there for a couple of years. And the one that kind of gets me, Heaney, is uh, we're just coming off of a decade where Apple came and unveiled this new iPhone in, 27, in 2007. And then every year, every, every couple months for the next decade and a half, a headline came out that said some company was coming out with an iPhone killer. 
And right now, I have to look at the market and say, the Quest is where the iPhone was when it comes to the VR market. Now, all of our viewers out there will say, of course, yeah, the Quest is still a small market. VR is still a small market. It's not quite comparable. But we aren't far off, I don't think, from seeing headlines where, you know, companies are going to have to come up with Quest killers. I'm surprised, in fact, that we haven't seen a lot of headlines saying, uh, you know, is Lynx the Quest killer? Is Apple developing a Quest killer? But, you know, it feels like we're at that stage in the market where meta is dominant and Apple's going to have to do a lot of work to convince people that they're not just an also ran here. They're not doing things that all these other companies have already done. Yeah, I have seen some headlines that are suggesting uh, that Pico, you know, is Pico a quest killer? Obviously, you know, we talked about it on previous episodes, why that's potentially not the case, at least not for this generation. But yeah, it is interesting to compare those products at that stage. I, I would still argue, as I always do, that we're nowhere near the iPhone moment for VR and AR. We're 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 much more akin to the, the Newton moment in the 1990s. The technology is simply far too primitive compared to what it will be. But it's it's going to be so interesting to see how Meta and Apple compete because the difference between the iPhone and what Meta is doing with Quest is that the iPhone was something where Apple was always trying to make the profit in the hardware itself by producing this premium product that was just better than anything else and making this massive hardware margin to account for it. Whereas Meta is doing a completely different strategy of trying to put out these headsets as cheap as they can still develop what they consider a good experience, taking almost no margin, potentially no margin, potentially even a negative margin on the hardware. Apple has never really faced uh, a vertically integrated competitor that takes that approach. Obviously, Meta isn't vertically integrated from the perspective of the software and of the chips. But when it comes to the fact that they're the ones providing the hardware and the software, in the smartphone market, you know, they took on Samsung, where Google was always the one developing the software, and Samsung was trying to then make their own profit on the hardware and take on Apple directly. But what a, in a parallel universe where Google had taken on Apple directly and tried to sell phones that were at cost price, I wonder what would have happened in the market there so it's it's beyond speculation how this will turn out but i suspect that meta will give apple a lot fiercer competition than apple is actually used to because its old trick of being the provider of the hardware and the software isn't going to fly here their new trick is owning the chip and being able to develop kind of unique product features based on having the chip produced by their own engineers Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the past, I think Apple has done this thing where they've picked a few developers to basically sequester over at Apple headquarters in the weeks prior to an actual announcement. And they have these developers basically prototype something on the new hardware and then uh, the best of the best actually make it into like their presentation uh, that they actually do for developers. But I, I think I'm just struck by Heaney the most is there's just so much you know, Apple has its own set of developers, uh, thousands upon thousands of developers that build for Apple devices worldwide. And that is, by and large, not the same set of people who have built every bit of VR experience out there, right? Every, you know, whether it's PC or whether it's Quest, those people aren't necessarily the same as the ones who are building for those phones out there. 
And if they if they can't rally the developers to build for this platform, it is going to be you know dead on arrival. So I do really wonder about how their strategy is going to go for seeding developers with actual hardware to build for these devices. I wonder how much focus they're going to have on their first-party software. That's always been, in my view, and a lot of people's view, in, especially in John Carmack's view, that's always been the real weakness of Facebook and now Meta's VR strategy in that, frankly, their first-party software has just been terrible. Horizon Workrooms is great. It's the first great piece of VR software we've seen come out of Meta. But everything else, you know, there's basic things that you should be able to do that you still can't. It's, it's crazy that in 2022... You, there is no simple way to just hang out with someone else's avatar and watch a shared video from a first party perspective on a quest. Obviously, we have Horizon Home coming sometime or, you know, we're halfway through the year and it was announced at the end of, you know, in September of last year. That still hasn't shipped. There's been a, a spray of field meta first party software, you know, Oculus rooms and uh, Facebook spaces and all of these kind of things. The general first-party software still doesn't match what you can do on a laptop. Zuckerberg wants Camry to be a laptop competitor, but he doesn't seem to have put any effort into actually building the core software that's needed to do that. So I wonder how much, without having to focus on these external developers, how much will Apple's own first-party software come be an advantage here? Because they can bring over their iWork software, you know, pages and numbers and keynote. They can bring over FaceTime and their calendar and their notes and all of the kind of services that you would already use on your iPad and across your Mac. Meta doesn't have that. They are very reliant on these third-party developers still. I'm noticing some people uh, point out the ugliness of the Times New Roman font here. This This is not our text. This is a direct screenshot from the trademark filing which, you know, for whatever reason, they've decided to use this font in the trademark. I don't know if that's just a legal normal thing or how they normally do it. But yeah, Um, Chris Richardson says uh, big screen is a great example of an app that does that. You're absolutely right. But there is still this inherent friction in having to, you know, you go into big screen for the first time, you have to create a separate avatar that's completely separate from the avatar that you've just created say you're a new user of vr and you're not really familiar with why this happens yes there are good business reasons that big screen has its own avatar system has its own account system but if you're just a average joe that's bought a piece of hardware to use that you're going to find that annoying you're like i've just made an avatar why do i have to now make another avatar and another account system and use some sort of room joining code why can't i invite the friend that i just added on my oculus friends list you know there's there is a lot of friction involved in third party software compared to something that is completely seamlessly integrated into the first party system and so apple's real potential here is that all of that friction can just be cut away you can just as easily as you facetime someone be put into an avatar call with someone and you can bring up you know share play which gives you access to the apple tv library and you know things like i think disney plus as well you can use all of that existing software infrastructure that apple has without having to go through third-party options yeah i've talked about a lot of this previously on the show but i've been using the share play features that are built into the latest ios and it was not it was not fun to figure out which video apps on the device are actually compatible with that feature like paramount plus is one of the most popular one of the more popular streaming services out there and 
only if I subscribed to Paramount Plus through the Apple TV app could I remotely watch, you know, with an audio chat with someone who's far away, a synced up show. I couldn't actually go through the separate legacy APIs. And I, you know, I think that gets to the really core of this, Heaney. We are seeing Meta and Facebook uh, be, be pretty clear that some of their legacy technologies are old news, right? That the Facebook news feed, all those old APIs, the Facebook app is being relegated to become a contacts app in a much larger system. And yes, there's still very valuable uses for the Facebook app, but it's not as big as they, they want this larger thing to be. So SharePlay, iMessage, FaceTime, all these things in the Apple ecosystem are getting the parts ready. But to your point, Heaney, like, I don't want to have to pick which apps are compatible with SharePlay. In, you know, on this headset, all the apps should be compatible with SharePlay, right? I shouldn't have to, like, some of them from the previous ecosystem aren't going to work in this new functionality. It's that, that would just stink terribly. So they do have to really give a lot of developers a really big heads up on how to get their stuff ready for these new APIs. I think it's more, you know, we've talked about on this show before, one of the biggest barriers to one of the biggest potentials of both VR and AR is content licensing. The, the dream is that you can connect with someone across the world and watch content together, be it from Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or Amazon Prime. And there's none of this rights management BS. You just, it's just as easy as if you walked into a friend's house and sat down on their sofa and watched TV with them. The limit there is not technology. It is licensing, but at the very least, you know, you say that there are all, all these services that aren't going to work with Apple SharePlay. Right now, there's zero that work with Metas. There is the kind of what, what is it called now? Del Fandango app. But again, it's this <laughs> third party nonsense. It's only in the United States as a very limited selection that has all of these caveats of things you can't use. And, you know, from what I've heard, it's glitchy and Meta still has no first party solution for this. And yet it was one of the kind of marketed use cases of Oculus Go was this dream of trying to sit down as if you were st sitting beside someone on the couch and watch something. And Meta has made absolutely no effort to try and make this come a reality with Quest. It is essentially just abandoned the idea. And it's a huge potential that Apple can take up because of its current ecosystem. And yes, it's not going to support everything, but that's better than supporting nothing. Yeah, you talk about co content licensing there being so critical. And yeah, I, I there's that's fascinating to think about what's next, right? I've, I've long thought that kind of meta making some kind of industry-wide agreement with the likes of Disney or the record labels is the one thing that could really hurt Apple really fundamentally. If they're able to offer those artists better terms than apple offers them that's that's going to put a lot of pressure on apple but you know i was brought into computing heaney like in the late 1990s early 2000s largely by this creative suite of apps that you could access on like an imac g3 i think it was back in the day but i like uh, iMovie, iDVD, iPhoto, these abilities to like capture content around you, turn it into a book, turn it into a DVD, uh, was ahead of its time in a lot of ways, this personal creation. And, you know, there is like a, there's like a basic video editor, I think, built into the Quest system. Like you can trim off, I think, some, uh, some of your clips. But 
I just have, you talked about bringing over their suite of work programs. I still don't have a, a good idea of how this is going to make my work day any more efficient, right? And that's what you're saying We we they could show off, right, Heaney? Yeah, I, th- I think in many ways, the pitch for this headset is going to be the same pitch as for Meta's Project Cambria. It is as a laptop replacement. And you say, you know, how is it going to make your day more efficient? Well, it's because instead of hunching over a little 13-inch screen in front of you, you have arbitrary screens. You can have six monitors or more practically three monitors of whatever size you want without having to purchase physical monitors or be kind of shackled down to one position. Sure, if you're someone who lives at a single position and you don't move much and you, you're fine with having your, your kind of very uh, specific setup, you have your PC and your three monitors no problem. But if you're someone that moves around a lot for work, if you're someone that likes to work on the go, if you're someone that has a laptop today, then this thing could be a MacBook on your face, but with three, with triple 30-inch monitors, with monitors that you can position, position wherever you want freely in space and where you can simultaneously, as you're working on these three monitors, have a friend or a colleague magically teleport beside you in their avatar form and talk to you as if they're standing as if they're sitting right beside you potentially even like big screen and immersed offer today you can point at your monitors and kind of share what you're doing it's essentially trying to bridge the gap between the a physical setup in a home office or in a physical office versus the kind of nomadic remote work lifestyle that people have that means that today they're relegated to these tiny little laptop screens in front of them Mm. Yeah, I, I think that may be a good place to to mention that uh, research that I just published right before we came in here. I just wanted to briefly mention it where they were talking about asynchronous reality. And those researchers at ETH over there in Switzerland, they've got a sensing interaction and perception lab. They basically imagined what it would be like to work at your desk, focused on VR 100%, and someone else that you're working with comes in with something you need to know about, puts it on your table right there, and basically says what you need to know about it and then walks out. You turn over and see that object sitting on your table. It's glowing. You go pick it up. And a replay plays for you of what that person did when they entered the room. The The thing that I found so interesting, it, it seems like such weird... Uh, specific research, but the, the researcher made this comment to me about the ability to bring a piece of your office home. And over in Horizon Workrooms, you've got a whiteboard, you've got your desk, you can turn your Oculus Touch controller into a marker and then write on the whiteboard over there on the wall. But we haven't seen how it works for you to bring a piece of your office home with you, Right. There's a lot of people out there struggling. You know, as as much as workers are excited out there to work from home, work wherever they are, that also puts a strain on your home environment to bring the office home and make it part of your home environment all the time. And I'm really curious to see how Apple handles that aspect of this, right? Like the iPhone was a personal device first and then later, later added all these enterprise features to really make it a, a workhorse device that you could use instead of your BlackBerry. But for a while there, there were a lot of people there that were like walking around with iPhones in one pocket and their BlackBerry in another pocket to do both of these lives. And uh, I, I'm curious, like Meta is building this thing where they want people to work from home. 
And that's how they're kind of marketing a lot of their devices is, uh, or the future. We expect Cambria to be this device that allows you to work from home. But how does Apple make like working from home a more enjoyable experience, right? I think that's one of the things that Apple might differentiate itself here. Well, I think this links into Guy Godin's comment. You know, he's saying that all of this remote work stuff has been done before, and that's true, but it hasn't been done with high quality color pass through in a headset that's actually comfortable to wear for four or more hours, for example, or even two or more hours. Everything we've seen so far is either in VR or in grainy black and white pass through on a headset that hurts your face after half an hour. And to kind of come back to what you're asking, how does Apple differentiate itself? Well, if it is able to pull off a really lightweight and comfortable form factor, and this is a headset you can actually wear for hours, and if their pass-through is so good with these rumored 12 cameras and all of the special chip they've built for it, that it is, you know, you're, you can see the tiniest details in your physical notes in front of you, and you don't have to take it off to interact with the real world like you do today, because that's another huge point. If you're working in a quest, so often you're going to have to pull it up and take it off to to interact with the real world. If you can actually do all that, then that's when these devices start to become practical for remote work. And there's a, is a huge question there of, is Cambria good enough or do you need to get all the way to the Apple headset to get really, really good enough to want to use it? And Technoglitch is saying, you know, complaining that this must be the high-end talk show that they can't afford thousands of dollars for a headset. And that's, that's completely valid. Very few people can afford thousands of dollars for a headset. These are going to be fairly niche products compared to something like the $300 Quest. But the technology that's seen in this headset and the technology that's seen in Cambria will, over the next few years, trickle down into more affordable products. And if we were talking about last year, or sorry, last week, some of the key features in Cambria that make it suitable for remote work, like that color pass-through, are very likely going to be seen in the likes of Quest 3. And it's also possible that Apple will, over time, develop more affordable headsets. Just as the first iPhone, if you actually factored out the required uh, contract price from the carrier, some people calculated that it actually its actual base cost is something like seventeen hundred dollars. But today, you know, the iPhone SE is what three hundred and fifty dollars or four hundred dollars somewhere around that. Over time, brand new technology with cutting edge features trickle down rather rapidly to affordable consumer devices. So yes, it's going to be frustrating in the next 12 months to see these products with these breakthrough features arrive only for kind of wealthy enthusiasts, but rest assured that is not going to be the case forever. It's going to it's going to be a good time for commentators though because over time as Heaney's kind of saying, I think there's going to be some uh blending of these product lines right they'll start looking a lot like each other i'm kind of really really tired of the banter going back and forth between ios and android fanboys each week or each new announcement saying uh google already had this feature for two years or apple already had this feature for two years heaney you and i were even commenting how we saw this feature debut on Meta's portal devices first, and then it's debuting on other devices, and people are constantly misunderstanding how these things kind of like copy each other, or you know at least lift ideas off of each other and become like one another. This next year, this next two year to two period, we're likely to see devices 
that are wildly varying from one another in their specifications, their feature set, their price points. And over time, that variation is probably going to go away as they arrive at these tiers of products, right? Uh, main, you know, a mainstream device, the low end, and then professional devices. And they'll all start kind of carrying the same features. But right now we're in this uh, gray area where these things could be wildly, wildly different from one another. We have uh, Brad Lynch, sadly it's Bradley in our comments, who's uh, just echoing my comment about these things trickling down and, and putting more context in there and to say that uh, as these brand new features that require kind of custom hardware start in a low volume sense that are more expensive, that means that the supply chains will get built up, which means that these things will, you know, once there is actual tooling, once there is an actual supply chain built up for these new components, the price can come down over time as the scale is increased, which we're all looking forward to because it means these amazing features can come to more people. Uh, I like these two comments back to back. Techno glitch saying, don't get me wrong, I'll pay up to a grand, but that's about it. All I do is play video games. And I, he's that that comment is speaking for a lot in our audience and a lot of the VR audience to begin with. And then Bertie Blob making the comment, Apple has a large creative audience. How will VR help them? And I think that's that's what I was getting at there earlier, Heaney. You're right. Like there is a lot of opportunity there, but I, I they need to have some real professional apps accessible on that three monitor setup. And once they kind of show that functioning, uh, maybe, you know, if they can show like a video editor can edit two 8K video streams, you know, more efficiently than they could with $8,000 worth of a monitor sitting in front of them, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I wonder how things like video editors will be able to interface with your Mac studio and the existing kind of Mac devices. But I think we need to think of, you know, what are the strengths of the medium? Apple obviously introduced apps like Final Cut and Logic, you know, video and music editing software for Mac. But with the 3D medium, when you have a true three dimensions, will we see Apple release first party 3D modeling software, first party animation software? What potential will Apple see in this inherently spatial medium that means that they can deliver new experiences and not just try to copy over the same kind of Mac paradigm of using monitors? Will there be kind of spatial native software from Apple that's aimed at creatives? That's going to be interesting. And yeah, I I think, you know, obviously that that person that's saying that they are more focused on, uh, they're more focused on gaming. Yeah, you're going to have to wait more likely for Quest 3 to get any kind of meaningful improvement in core gaming. But I would say that don't write off the potential future applications of VR because you may end up using them even though you don't realize. Because, you know, if you talk to anyone five, seven years ago, they would have said that they're not interested even VR gaming. So think of, you know, try and imagine when was the moment where you tried VR and realized, oh, wow, this is actually great for gaming. And open yourself to the possibility that a future headset will make you go, oh, wow, this is actually great for productivity and social and creative applications too. Yeah, Bradley's saying the VR the VR audience is 99% gamers because that's the only market these devices have been able to dive into. It's time to start thinking outside of gaming channels. I think that's exactly right for where we are right now. Yeah, the, the, the state of the technology today, and you know, as I've said on this show many times, we are in still in the very early stages of VR technology. As you know, the phrase I like to use is that we're the end of the beginning. 
the technology and its primitive state today suits gaming in the same sense that this, the primitive computing technology of the 1980s suited gaming and suited kind of word, word processing applications. But for some of the future speculative applications of VR that obviously exists somewhat now for a niche audience like social, like productivity, like creativity, those are going to be more suited for future hardware advances that give us lighter weight headsets with more precise controllers, with face tracking and eye tracking to drive photorealistic avatars. So once the technology catches up from a hardware perspective, we're likely to see the software start to catch up too. And that, that doesn't even cover the potential use cases of mixed reality. As we were talking about at the start of this show, what happens when your furniture is automatically scanned in? What happens when any input device, be it a mouse or a keyboard or a, or any controller you want, can be automatically tracked? What happens when you can play a baseball game by just picking up a baseball bat and the headset can automatically detect it? There are all sorts of future capabilities that will enable entirely new use cases. Drainer men- mentioning, I don't know how comfortable writing text would be in these headsets without varifocal technology. I think that's a really interesting comment. Yeah, the, all the stuff that's within arm's reach on current headsets is not as crisp as it should be. I do wonder how that will change over time. The thing, the one feature in the Apple ecosystem, and it's coming from all the companies right now, that really gets me is the text recognition feature. I love this idea that you could have a physical document in front of you and then you could mark on it digitally or you could get all of that text and then modify it uh, somehow just by looking at it and getting all that text read uh, and turned into digital form. Is There's a lot of things that can happen once you've got that really, really good uh, optical recognition technology in there. I'll be curious what they do next. Twee is saying, you know, I'm currently using a 32-inch 4K display at one-to-one scaling uh, until a VR headset that can approach that clarity. Trying to say a VR headset is for work is just wrong. I think it's wrong to say that, I think you're right to say that it's wrong for someone like you to have that. But if you look at the Steam hardware survey, a tiny, tiny fraction of even PC gamers who tend to have the best hardware actually have a 4K monitor. That's one of the most surprising statistics on the Steam hardware survey. Because I think if you ask the average PC gamer, they would think that a 4K monitor is the norm, which is not true. The majority of people are actually still using 1080p monitors. And if you expand that out to beyond Steam, the majority of people that are using computers today are using these tiny little 13-inch 1080p laptop screens. And so... Sure, if you have a 32-inch 4K display, it is going to be years until you're going to want to replace something like that with a headset, maybe even five or 10 years. But for someone who is using, because of the nature of their job, that they have to be on the go all the time and hop from hotel to conference to you know temporary accommodation, if they're using a little 13-inch Chromebook, the idea of being able to sit back and have these huge virtual monitors could be very appealing. So Bradley making this comment that uh, my insanity leads me to believe that if this non-gaming focus works, it will quickly lead to innovations in the VR gaming side as well. I don't know if this is what Bradley is getting at, but that's a really interesting comment to think about the mixed reality games we've talked about on previous shows, right? The games that really incorporate so much of your physical environment into the actual experience. The demo that I thought of from last year from the developer that later went to work at Meta um, <clears throat> he showed this feature where you mapped out your whole room and then he placed a zombie around the corner down his hallway. 
And each time he leaned forward to look in at the zombie, the zombie moved closer to him until it was right behind him. It was a, a really, really, really simple little demo, but it opened up a lot of possibilities in my mind for exactly how you can play like horror games around your whole house and actually get scared of ghosts that are like suddenly uh, occupying your home environment while you're wearing the headset. And I, I you know, I think Apple's headset and Cambria, they're both going to be focused around that type of mixed reality experience that really understands your physical environment. And uh, that could dramatically change VR gaming. Jack B is saying that they are already using a headset for working on documents on the road because they find it painful to look down at their little 14 inch screen. And they're saying, you know, courtesy of your own program, Guy, uh, virtual desktop. You know, a, a lot of people talk about virtual desktop today as if it's only a VR streaming application, but we need to remember that it's, it's core use case and its original use case is in exactly this, in putting your PC monitor virtually in front of you. And there are already people today, even with these 500 gram bricks we have on our face that have relatively low angular resolution, there are already people today using it for that use case. And I remember that, you know, at the time when I reviewed it for Oculus Go, I did my review of Oculus Go inside virtual desktop, sorry, my review of virtual desktop for Oculus Go inside virtual desktop. And so I, is it so hard to imagine that when these 500 gram bricks turn into, you know, 200 grams on the front and uh, 200 grams in the back, more counterbalanced headsets that have, you know, more comfort and higher resolution that more and more people are going to start to use this? I don't think it's going to be any magic moment where it crosses over, but over time it will become more and more acceptable to people to the point where it just becomes like wearing headphones. A lot of people in office jobs and a lot of people with remote work wear bulky headphones all day long. Mm. And Onakazi's comment that Mario jumping around your living room will be a neat novelty and it'll spoil fast. Does your current living room look like an interesting room layout for a game? Uh, that's a great point. It could get old pretty fast. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I, I just The idea that you could break down a whole wall and access things on the other side uh, is really, really cool to me. So I, I think if you're talking about using your room's geometry and texture, then sure, that's going to get old fast. But if you look at, if you search on YouTube for our YouTube channel, we uploaded something along the lines of uh, Facebook research room meshing. Try those words. You might see the demo I'm talking about here. The idea of using the geometry of your room, but not the texture gets a lot more interesting. So what if instead of your couch, you have a sandbag in a first person shooter that is of the same dimensions as your couch, or that your table is replaced with some sort of sci-fi prop and you're on the moon. It's, you need to think a little bit more creatively about how you can mix reality, how you can blend the geometry of your room with the texture and art style of a fantasy environment, such that instead of having to stay within the play space that you have, your guardian area, you can then actually access the whole of your room because you can lean on your sofa or you can, you know, lean on your bench or you can walk up a stairs that has now just become some sort of like, uh, stairway into some sort of hangar in a military sense those are going to be the creative use cases that i think make mixed reality great not literally seeing your actual room but seeing your room used as the geometric stage for some sort of uh, gaming situation this concept works wonderfully uh in a small bedroom i think sampler was saying there uh 
Tusink. I don't know what Tusink is. We have had an incredible discussion this week, haven't we, Heaney? There's been a nonstop discussion with interesting comments talking about this. And I think people in the comments there are really responding to the idea that, you know, this is actually going to happen sometime in the next six months. Uh, this evolution of personal computing that we've kind of been expecting for a long time, and it's been very slow going. Uh, the pace of our news is increasing, and some of these things that we're reporting unlock key parts of this future that we've been writing about. Let's see. Bradley has one more comment here. Let's see. A portal opens in your real life room. You walk into it and you fall into a VR world instantly. Yeah, we've seen some of the portal concepts. And I a lot of the apps on Quest are instituting some kind of portal technology based on that new uh, mixed reality feature that's kind of rolling out from Meta. But it's still early days, right, Heaney? Yeah, exactly. We're still in the earliest of earliest days when it comes to mixed reality. You know, I said we're at the end of the beginning when it comes to virtual reality. When it comes to mixed reality, we are in the beginning of the beginning. It, it's really only just started. We, you know, it's it, a lot of people are a little bit bearish on this because we haven't really seen what happens when you give a huge number of developers access to this. Some of the use cases of VR today, some of the games that people love and play all day long are things that no one would have imagined before developers en masse were given access to these headsets. And every time we've seen developers get new functionality, we've seen them do things that completely blow away everyone when it comes to innovation. When, when it comes to hand tracking, we saw these amazing use cases when it comes to getting even when it comes to getting track controllers you know the htc vive in 2015 when it was given to developers and in 2016 when it was shipped on mass that's when you see what these things can be done so when we see links ship when we see cambria ship that's when we're going to start to see the real use cases of mixed reality when it's put into developers minds because they're the people that are you know it's literally their job to come up with fun and clever ideas of how to make use of this technology yeah i'm thinking back to hover junkers did you ever play hover junkers back in the day yeah I always thought that was an interesting exploration in how to use room scale space, right? That was that game came out right at this time where these devs are really trying to figure out how to use room scale. And here's this idea that you can make your whole room a hovering platform that you could move across the landscape and play a, a, a shooter that way. And it's fun to think of your real environment being things to dive behind in the future. All right, I think that wraps us up. This has been a crazy long discussion, lots of really, really interesting subjects. We've got the Upload VR Showcase returning on June 9th at 8 a.m. Pacific time. We've got info about that on UploadVR.com right now. We will have a lot of news ongoing throughout the week. We've got Alex and Skiva out there going to check out Augmented World Expo with lots of new things. I know Gallia and OpenBC uh, are announcing a partnership with Vario to team up and have a BCI on some of the highest grade headsets out there. So we're going to have lots of info about that in the coming week. Uh, and all, all that news is going to be on uploadvr.com as we get into it. Heaney, is there anything you want to leave off uh, our commenters with this week? No, just uh, once again, I'd like to thank everyone for the really high quality of discussion in the comments here. We we read all of them. Obviously, we don't have time to respond to everything, but you know, we read all of the live chat and we leave all of the comments you leave after. So Thanks for you know thoughtful and insightful feedback to what we're saying. Join us next week as we chart science fiction coming to life. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll see you in the future and we'll get into it next week. Hopefully there's some big news ahead and we're going to have to digest it here. Thank you so much.